Welcome to episode 716 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Rightio team, welcome along to episode 716 of I Am Talk of Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Be good, Bevan. How about yourself? We're already being we're already being social distancing. I was going to say Nazis, but you can't say Nazis um, because we've got builders who are working around me, John, and they're already inside their social distance. Well, this morning, Bevan, I was wondering. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what time we were going to start because I've got to go off and do something. So we, we were changing the times. So I hadn't heard back from Bevan this morning. And I thought then... I said up a call. Oh, sorry. No, sorry, I didn't. Did... Okay. <laughs> sorry about that. And, and then, uh, so for overseas <laughs> listeners, today is New Zealand's first day of going from maximum lockdown to second maximum level. So going from level four to level three, which means fast food joints are opened up. And I said to Belinda, nobody's going to go to fast food joints straight away. And she just came into my office before, and it's uh, now 7.30, and she said there was queues um, out the door, not out the door, but massive big queues at McDonald's at sunrise, or at at dawn. And I thought, I wonder if Bevan's down there getting his McDonald's. But he's not. I don't think I I, – like, I never buy fast food in New Zealand. Sometimes overseas I'll get Burger King. And very rarely, I'll get some KFC. So probably in the last 20 years of my life, I've probably had KFC maybe seven or eight times. I can't remember the last time I had McDonald's. I think I'm probably twice a year, maybe. Twice a year, with, if, if I go there with the kids. Yeah, I really can't remember the last time. I think, actually, I think when I did Hawaii, with, when I did Hawaii, when I competed in Hawaii, me and my family had McDonald's one night. And I remember, because remember the old McDonald's in Hawaii was just, mm. and, and Kona is just like, it's probably the worst McDonald's in the world. Yeah. It's like, like they built it in 1969 and they haven't spent any money on it. And I yeah. think that's the last time I had Maccas. I could be wrong, but they make no money out of me, John, but I tell you, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by. Our fantastic patrons. There you go first, John. Olaf, the pipeline pusher swindler. <laughs> okay, we've got Paul. Silky Smooth Williams. Christina steaming up the room, aren't? Back it up. And you, you could say this one, John, because I, I don't know how to say the name properly. Pavel, the wild wrestler, Chalces. Chalces, Chalces. Uh, I'm talking, oh yeah, this, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got some hot topic of the week. Got an interview coming up. Who's the interview with, Jonbo? We're going to talk to Greg McDermott, who is a listener of the show. Uh, he also, a couple of years ago, biked around Australia. Um, so he's, uh, I think it'll be an interesting, interesting story because he's gone from no athletic activity to uh, Ironman to Ultraman and then riding around uh, Australia. Plus, he's now sort of heavily involved in Zwift. So maybe a few Zwift tips for you, Zwifters. Oh, good times. Uh, Coach's Corner, Wanger of the Week, and questions and answers at the end. Jonbo, we're getting desperate. We're reminiscing about last year's Ironman Texas. Well, this is the thing. I, as we go through the, our season, I'm going to do this each weekend uh, that there was races from last year so we can relive some of those glories. It was a bloody good race last year, uh, Ironman Texas. It was the North American Championships. Fantastic times, but just a quality field. So we had Patrick Nilsson take it out in 7 hours and 55. Now, the times were a bit slower than the previous years, but Texas has had a very checkered history. With, no, no, uh, he did seven, 7 hours 50, John. What did I say? 55. Uh, 750. Yeah. Uh, 750. 
55. Um, and yeah, Texas, I've had they had the one year where they had the the the, the thunderstorms and the race had to stop. For, for a lot of the age groupers they've had a lot of drafting controversy they had one year where it was going to be short i think one year maybe the swim got cancelled but last year's results patrick nelson first place david Plesche was second 11 minutes down in 801 andrew starkowitz rode a 40256 um d- faded on the run with a 304 but still finished in third place in 803 you had joe skipper there in fourth matt hansen in fifth carl buckingham sixth and Michael Weiss in seventh. So that's a high quality field. And you've got to give um, Ironman some credit with regards to, you know, the the, the championship races they have meant we've got a, a better congregation of the top athletes uh, at these events. Still not, you, you know, you like your, your cricket, not your cricket, your, your tennis or grand slams, but it certainly meant we've had, you know, a few races each year we've had them good quality fields. On the female side of the race, we've got old Daniela Reef was dominating the dojo. Well, not really. No, she. It was a fantastic race. Oh no, yeah, her. she wasn't actually. Was she? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Two her minutes. And, her and um, Jocelyn McCauley were going head to head for the majority of the day. Both swam you know, within a few seconds of each other, biked within a few seconds of each other, and were back and forth on the run all day long. So I think that's a, a, a testament to firstly, Jocelyn McCauley is uh, on her day can match the very very best in the world. Um, I would say that maybe Daniela Reef wasn't quite at her absolute 100% best that day but still it's pretty it's always good to see uh, Daniela Reef being pushed and when she's not on her A game um, she is a bit vulnerable so yeah really good race uh, for first and second they went 8.37 and 8.39 respectively both going under three hours on the run uh, Jenny Seymour was third Leslie Smith fourth and Kim Morrison in fifth so over the weekend, we also had a few more cycle races on Zwift and on uh, the, the virtual Ironman and stuff like that. Uh, anything exciting happening, John? Um, I haven't really watched much of it yet. I sort of got a bit saved up for some trainer fodder this week. Um, we did have the second race of the Triathletes Pro Series um, on Zwift, and Lucy Charles took that out. Uh, and then S. Laidlaw, who I don't, I've never heard of before, he won the men's race. Uh, then the Super League athletes, they're still participating in another Zwift series, which is combined with all the cyclists, and they are unsurprisingly um or no not surprisingly getting their pants pulled down a bit there you know trying to go head to head with cyclists is extremely hard especially when a lot of these races are coming down to sprint finishes that being said sophie caldwell did very well and got a top 10 result on the female side and then on ruby with the ironman series which was uh i think a 40k tt yep emma pallant uh took that out uh, on the female side and arno Guilo from France took out the men's race. Well, I wonder why Super League have combined with cyclists. You kind of think they'd be better off, I know it'd be a smaller field, but you kind of think it'd be better off to have a triathlete race. You know, it doesn't make, the, like, it's obvious the cyclists aren't going to do, I mean, the triathletes aren't going to do that well against the cyclists. So it's kind of a bit of a non-event for triathlon. Uh, Yeah, uh, to a degree, but uh, I mean, everybody's trying to jump on the virtual world. Super League are are doing their own special coverage of the race, um, so they are giving the athletes exposure, which is which is fantastic. Um, There's virtual races all over the place. You've got Ironman doing stuff. You've got um, Zwift doing things. All the different platforms have got different things going on. Um, So yeah, I think. Just a tough thing for the, a lot of these pro athletes, you know. As I said last week, some of them are racing sort of two to three times a week, which yeah. is, uh, you know, this when you do these races, they are full noise, 
hundred percent effort. Uh, and then you know we had try and triathlon New Zealand had races at the weekend. So Hayden Hayden Wild, I think he raced two days in a row. He did one of the uh, as either the Super League uh, the the pro triathletes race, or he did might have done the racing for the Super League, and then the next day he was doing the the try and Z race. So lots going on. I wonder, but but for these guys, a cycle race, it's you know. It's not going to blitz you, put them out of any kind of routine or anything, is it? Not really, and and a lot of uh, you know a lot of them are probably doing bugger all running, and uh, most are not doing any swimming at all. So, um, if you guys want to do do want to watch some of this, uh, it's all all the stuff can be replayed on fa- Facebook. There's Ironman now for the Ruby coverage of uh, each weekend's racing. Zwift Live on Facebook as well for the Zwift races, and Super League are covering the races on their channels as well. So, I quite often just have them playing off on the on the side, um, and uh, sort of just keep an eye. It and it just gives you a bit more content. Okay, then, uh, Jonbo, we are having more races cancelled here. There's no real surprise here, but the big one that we've talked about this week is the ITU have cancelled the grand finale in Edmonton. Uh, when was that meant to be going? That was meant to be going, I'm um, going to just, I don't know off the top of my head, but probably it would have been late August or some, probably more like September actually. Um, so yeah, ITU season, they've got no certainty whatsoever. So unlike uh, Ironman, which is still sort of scheduling races and hoping things are going to happen, there's, there's not they, really much they, certainty. Are they, are they cancelling these races or are they postponing? Because with Ironman, a lot of the PR releases we're getting are the races being postponed, listen to a later date. Um, are we seeing... Bit, bit of both on the ITU side, so yeah, they're, they're not really giving any certainty as to, to when things might re really kick, kick off. Okay, so one other piece of news that came out this week was that Tamsin Lewis, uh, aka Sporty Doc, we've had her on a show a few times over the years. She won Ironman UK, was it 2014 or 13? Uh, she actually got coronavirus and she wrote an article on triathlete.com where they interviewed her on it. Did you read it? I read it. It was actually came out last week, and I should have brought it up on last week's show. So if people want to try to understand what it's like to go through coronavirus Jesus. for for some for some people, as, as we all know, massively variable. But but she sort of shares her experiences and also puts her sort of doctor's hat on and and, and gives advice. It was really fascinating. I just read it this morning. Um, she was saying like the, the aching was really interesting. I felt, and she said basically, it felt like she had done three Ironman back to back. You know, physically, you know, she said the breathing was tough and she felt sick, but also just the, the aching in her body was just like something she'd never really felt. And one thing she said that was really important for athletes to understand is that because we're so fit, like her heart rate, resting heart rate sits around 40 and it went up to 80. So there's a massive variance. She's not in a good place. But because that's actually a range that most people normally sit in, they didn't necessarily take her that serious at first. And so she said that when, if you do get this and you do see your numbers jump, you do need to kind of communicate with your medical professionals that, hey, I'm, I am normally at a lower level. Uh, and so this is a double increase in what I am currently experiencing uh, because she kind of said at first, they weren't, didn't sweep her under the table, but it was more just like, you know, they're maybe not taken as seriously because the numbers weren't as high. So if you are somebody who, who would get this, hopefully you don't, but if you are and you are a very fit person, just be make sure you communicate that well with your medical professionals. And probably the other key point that she made, you know, often with, with sickness, and it's a bit of a cold and so on, you can often train through it. You know, it's not sensible yeah, to go yeah. and do do intensity or anything like that, but you can often just sort of tick over so you don't lose fitness but you, and you're only going backwards a bit. She really stressed that um, her advice is that you really completely back off and don't do anything um, because she found when she did do something, it put her back two or three steps uh, quite yeah. significantly. And, and I think she went for like an, an 
easy light jog. She just felt good one day. She said, okay, well, maybe I'll just go for a walk jog. And it was nothing crazy. And yeah, she said it literally was like taking four or five steps back. So yeah, mm. respect it if you get it. Okay, John, we've got some I Am Talk news. We have indeed. So um, we've actually, moved... actually, it's not that exciting. We've kind of... Yeah, <laughs> got, part of it is. A couple of updates. Of Point, point three is exciting. Okay. Um, so firstly, um, Legends of Triathlon, we've uh, we've shifted that across, so it's now all going to be under our IM Talk website. So just going to have one website for both shows. So um, that's point number one. And if you want to get those, so if you go to our website, on the main page, underneath this week's latest shows, there's a link that says, click below to listen to Legends of Triathlon. Click on that, and then it'll t- t- take you through to Legends of Triathlon blog page. But also on the drop-down menu, you've also got Legends of Triathlon as well. And then the other thing that I've added onto the website this week is uh, last weekend, and I'll talk about this in the show a bit later on, we did the Uber Pretzel on Zwift, or some of us did. Um, so I'm going to organise a few more meetups on Zwift. So if you're keen to join on that, um, click. Uh, we've got a new button on there just sort of camps and training. So if you want to come on any meetups, in the next couple of weeks I'm going to be building up, uh, and it'll either be on the 10th or the 17th of May, to doing the um, London PRL ride, which is the longest ride. Ride on Swift. I think it's 173 k's. Uh, with you did the longest ride last week. Well, that is, I thought we did, but the, this one is actually the longest. Uh, but the difference with this one, you're doing lots and lots of laps, but it's the longest sort of course I've got on there. So if you're keen to join up any Zwift rides, they're, they're going to be Sunday mornings in New Zealand time, um, which is Saturday evening for Europe and UK, and Saturday afternoon if you're in the States. Um, they're going to vary a bit in length, but uh, yeah, we've got a page on the I'm Talk website, um, so get on it. And most importantly... John's bringing back a legendary epic camp. I am indeed. I'm quite excited about this. So last week um, I was watching the, uh, we had a documentary made when we did the Length of New Zealand camp um, back in, I think it was 2010. It was either end of 2010 or start of 2011. I can't remember quite which it was. And it was Length of New Zealand. It was awesome. And I thought, I've had to cancel a number of camps this year. New Zealand is looking okay in terms of coming out of this virus thing um, sometime soon. We're probably not going to be open to the rest of the world. Um, so to give something, people something to look forward to, I've decided to do a length of the South Island camp, which is going to be a 10-day camp in October, end of October. Uh, it's going to be pretty epic. going to be about 1,100 kilometres of riding spread over nine days of rides uh, along with swim and bikes. It's going to be open to... It swim, swims and runs. Yep. It's going to be open to athletes of quite a wide range of abilities. You know, the, your typical epic camp, I say, you need to be sort of five and a half hours or under for an Ironman bike ride. Um, I'm sort of lengthening that out to six and a half, so that opens it up to most Ironman athletes, not all, but most. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to get on that, go to epiccamp.com, and uh, the details are up there. Epiccamp.com, I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you are interested. Now, it will depend, hopefully, the Australian bubble is a bit but closer because they're talking about because New Zealand's a bit kind of if we get through this moment where we have actually managed it really well, the kind of theory is no one's coming to New Zealand until there's a vaccine. But they are talking about having an Australian bubble, so which means people from Australia will be able to come to New Zealand until there's a vaccine. So maybe even Australian listeners might be able to come over and do this. It's a big maybe. I know, a big maybe, maybe but, but it is a maybe. Maybe, maybe, baby. And then lastly. 
we've got another Legends of Triathlon show that's coming out. So we've got John Lunt, who was the race director for the Olympics when they were in London, also uh, set up his own events company. So I really do like to try to get a balance on the Legends show of, of course, we want to speak to the, the top, top athletes, but I also want to hear from those that have helped influence our sport, either on a global scale or you know, particularly in one area, as John did in the UK. And uh, yeah, just it was fascinating to hear about London Olympics, the build-up to it, and uh, what it entails, and how big a bloody job it is, and it was also, you know, wasn't it? Like, because yeah. let's be honest, probably Sydney and London are the two biggest moments in triathlon, aren't they? Um, on a world scale, come on. Yeah, I guess so. Athens was Athens was pretty, pretty cool for us Kiwis. Yeah, but like when you think of that London, because that London was a pretty special event. Hmm. Hmm. You know, um, like how many people in the world were watching the triathlon in Athens? You know, whereas the London, it was, I don't know, to me, London's like Sydney just because it was the first Olympics and it was the beginning of the Olympics makes it pretty special. Yeah, L- London, because of the spectators and how the Poms really got into the Olympics, um, made a lot of those events. You know, the, the triathlon had people lined for the entire bike yeah, course. Awesome. Um, so, so they did a fantastic job. And, and he, he was the race director. So I'll be putting it up over the next couple of days, guys. So look out to I Am Talk's Facebook page and you'll see it kind of pop, pop up in there when I put it up. So look out for that. Okay, John, this week's discussion, good old Tim Hemming sent through what has been the most amazing comeback or agonizing defeats in triathlon history. If you can, include a video link. We, now we've got one, high, we've got a highly commend Adrian Rich who kept this post going, posting multiple comments on this. Adrian Rich Oh, no, Aiden Rich, not Adrian. Aiden, awesome effort. Without Aiden, it's, it's like two answers. But then I know. Aiden came along and saves the day. Did indeed. But first up, we had Ian Johnson. Um, he had Chrissy when Chrissy punched in Kona in 2008. So if you aren't aware of that story or don't recall it, she was, you know, a Pretty sure it was, it was her first one in 2007. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, she was she was already already a bit of a dominator by that stage and got a puncture on the Queen K, um, wasn't able to change it and or, or didn't have a gas canister or something like that. And uh, the, the field was just riding past her. And I think it was Rebecca Keat ended up pulling over and uh, giving her a canister yes, so she was yeah. able to, to fix that. And then she went on to, to win the race. That, that was, yeah, that was... Uh, we've got Luke Glimmer, he's got 2010 Kona Mecca versus Ray Lurt in an epic battle after both men ran down Lieto, who had done the job on them on the bike to keep ahead of Crowey, Mecca, um, played every cut, Mecca played every cut to win by 1 minute 40, fourth closest Kona finish ever, one great moment was Mecca shaking his arm, Ray Lurt's hand mid-run, playing the mind games like no one else ever was, that was, we were there that year, were we? Uh, I don't know that we were, but um, either way, that that, that I mean, awesome. if, if people that have been to Kona or even haven't, the, where where the the kind of break happened between those two was at the top of coming up um, Palani Hill uh, on on the way down, and you're pretty close to the finish there. You basically got about a 400 meter downhill. And then from there, you've probably maybe got about a mile, if that. So for Raylert to lose a minute 40 or whatever in that uh, in that space of time really shows that A, Macca really laid the smack down and Raylert um, 
completely capitulated to lose that amount of time in, in such a short and, distance. If you want to go back and listen to a great interview, we interviewed Mecca after that race, and it's a really good interview because he breaks down just kind of everything that he was going through in his mind. and and Because uh, basically what happened was Mecca took a mess. I think we were there, John, because I remember yeah. Mecca got off the bike and he went crazy. You know, like, because he got off the bike and he had a bit of a break on some of the other faster runners and he took off and everyone's thinking he's either made the genius move of all time or he's an absolute idiot. And at first it seemed like a bit of a genius move, but then of about 15k to go, something like that, Raylert just put the foot down and he was just putting like 20 seconds of K on Macca, just catching up like no tomorrow. And when we interview Macca, he just talks about how um, he just, in his mind he's just going to blow on it. I've blown it, you idiot, you've done it again, you know, kind of this kind of real self-defeatist kind of attitude. And then he says, and then I thought to myself, stop it. He's going to catch you up, take a moment, get some food into you, slow down, wait till you catch, and then you get ready for this fight. And then, you know, and then they they, they shake each other's hand, and they literally shake each other's hand where Mark and and Dave had the Iron War battle. And then, you know, like, it's just a cool moment. And then after the race, because there was a moment where Ray Lert stops, and, well, it doesn't stop, but slows down for water, and that's where Mecca kind of attacks him. And after the race, everyone was like, right, Ray Lert, why did you get some water? And Ray Lert was like, I had nothing left. You know, like, you know, it wasn't, mm. you know, it wasn't a foolish move. I, he just, he was better than me on the day, but great race. Mm. Another great race. Aidan Rich was saying Mark Allen starting the run 13.31 back from Hellregal in 1995 and coming home for the win. That was epic. But at the, to make that even more epic, I mean, Hellregal ran a reasonable run split that day and still got 13 minutes run out of him. So uh, that was another good one. Thanks, Aidan. Uh, Lynette Wan's got uh, Andrea Hewitt with her win in Abu Dhabi, finally back on the podium in first place. I was there screaming. I don't know that one, John. Well, that was an ITU finish, uh, was it probably maybe two seasons back? And it was a sprint finish, and she looked gone for all money. I think it was between her and Jodie Stimpson. It was either Jodie Stimpson or um, the other British girl. Her name's eluded me at the moment. Uh, and Andrea, looked. she's a good sprint finisher. Like, you'd often put money on her to, to take down a sprint. But she looked, oh got well gapped, and then she just came back in the last little period and just uh, smoked straight past her. So it was, uh, it was, and it was one of the few times Andrea Hewitt is a great athlete. She's not the greatest in terms of uh, her her interview interviews and stuff. But this one, her interview came from the heart, and it was, was, it, was, uh, it, was, it, was it was pretty it, emotional. It was not long after her partner had passed away. I think it was, it was some sort of anniversary. Maybe it was a year or something like that. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was big. It was pretty heart wrenching stuff. Uh, Swanee so Noah's got. Uh, could you count Hamish Carter winning Athens after blowing it in Sydney? That was a good comeback. Not particularly in that race, but a, a four year comeback. It was. Uh, you'd certainly count that. Yep, Aiden Rich again, Mark Allen started the run in Nice in 1992, over seven minutes behind the hometown hero Yves Cordier. Allen caught Cordier with his entourage of 100 bikes. I remember seeing this. It was just crazy. Less than 400 metres to go. Oh, so you, the, the the run in Nice used to, was along the Promenade des Anglaises, um, which is a big, wide um, boardwalk. And then I think when they were doing the run, though, they were on the road, not necessarily the boardwalk, at least one direction. And Alan's riding a lot, running along, and there's like literally a hundred cyclists running, you know, biking along uh, next to Cordier, uh, just sort of cheering him on. It was one they must have closed the whole street down. There was just uh, cyclists everywhere. Cool. Uh, good old Mick Simpson's got. I thought Lucy regaining second this year at Kona was pretty special, especially as her dog is in all her YouTube videos now. 
Yeah, uh, Aiden Rich also had uh, Lothar Leader and Chris McCormick having a sprint finish in Rote in 2003. Uh, sprint finish is always good, especially when it's an Ironman. Uh, John Weir's got obviously Mark Allen in 1995, but has anyone looked at the Iron War from Dave's perspective? He was so close to winning. Now, actually, if you haven't listened to our interview we did with Dave Scott on the Iron War, or just on Legends a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's a great interview, but also the year before where Dave came back, you know, mm. and, you know, when Mark blew up, you know, like, yeah, there's some great battles between those two. Uh, and last one I'll do Aiden Rich again uh, Carfrey pulling back 14 minutes 30 from Reef on the run and taking the lead with 6 kilometres to go in the 2014 Ironman I'll do the last one here from Lucy Francis and I actually watched this because Lucy sent it through as an email to us I watched the 1987 World Ironman Championships recently how Erin Baker running past the Puntos uh, uh, Slovenia how do you say her name? Sylvia? Uh, so Sylvia, yeah, yeah, uh, Pintos and Paulie, Paula Newby Fraser uh, to claim her win. It was awesome actually because basically it was a race between Paula and the Pintos skill, and they were just going head to head, and then Paula just started to crack a little bit. And because back in those days, John, you forget about this, they walked every aid station. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. like, this is the World Championships. And you're thinking nowadays, you know, like every aid station, Paula and, and Sylvia would would stop and walk through the aid stations kind of together. And then, mm-hmm. but Erin wasn't, and that ultimately was the key. And so Erin catches them up, Paula cracks, Sylvia's kind of getting, staying with her, but she could see she's fighting, but she's staying with her. But then the aid station comes and, and this Pontos girl pulls over and gets another drink and it's Erin's race. Nice. Great stuff. You kind of forget how great Erin Baker was. Ah, oh, she was awesome. Yeah, unbelievable. Any you want to mention here, John, that haven't been brought up? Yeah, so I've got a couple, um, and just when you were saying that, it reminds me of another one. So one of the Puntos sisters actually was first across the line yeah, so in Kona one year, and she got dq uh, what was it? I can't actually. I think it was for drafting. So back then, you, you know, you could get retrospective drafting infringements. So I'm pretty sure she got busted for drafting, but was not told during the race. Oh, carried on to finish stink. and won it, and then got disqualified. So I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And who so took if the I had title? Got Do you know who took the title? Oh, no, I can't remember. I've just, just plucked that one out. The other ones that I've got um, from an Ironman perspective um, in terms of the most gut-wrenching losses is when Julie Moss obviously crawled to losing a Kona title. Um, likewise, Paul the newbie Fraser, the year that uh, Karen Smyers won, which was 1995, um, Paul the newbie Fraser capitulated and collapsed uh, literally Maybe two, maybe three, yeah. four hundred meters from the finish, um, and I always feel for the person that wins in those circumstances because Karen Smyers was gaining on her fast all the way through the run, and you kind of often that race might get remembered as the one that Paul and Newby Fraser lost rather than Karen Smyers winning. But oh no, it's, it's always a tricky one. So that's my Ironman side of things. The Olympic one, uh, Olympic distance. Somebody did mention this race as well in the comments, so I'll find who that was uh, with. With regards to the Olympics, uh, Aiden, oh God, it was Aiden Rich, man of the day. Uh, the Olympics in Athens, Loretta Harrop was a, a, not a, a raging hot favourite, but she'd put herself into a position to, to win that race. And Kate Allen, who had pretty much never done anything in her career, career other than just a couple of podiums here or there, ran a 33.47 to be one minute faster than anybody else and three minutes faster than Harrop. Harrop wasn't the best runner in the world, but she was, could certainly hold her own. And she got caught 
just you know within sight of the finishing line and uh, missed out on a gold medal. And after that race, Kate Allen really didn't do much either. So she was she was a more or less a one race wonder. A couple of other podiums, but nothing prolific at all. Uh, and then the other one that I've got is Michaeli Jones losing in Sydney to Bridget McMahon. And, and just to rub salt in the wounds on that one, it was uh, she was later not Michaeli Jones, but Bridget McMahon was later busted for for EPO, which Michaeli Jones was one of the greatest short course athletes of all time and for her to, to lose that one in, in a very very close finish was a bit gut-wrenching okay john so here's some interesting little facts for you so i'm just look i found looked up the iron man world championship kind of history list here um so what's really interesting is the year that uh was it patricia patricia puntos she got disqualified was the first year paula newby fraser won Hmm. Um, I don't, they don't really have much about what happened with Patricia in that race, but she never actually won the race. Her sister won it twice in 83 hmm. and 84, uh, and Patricia came second to her both times in those races. Hmm. So which is really fascinating. But what's really interesting, John, so have you heard of Judy Leach? Uh, I've heard the name, yes. Well, she won it in 82. And 82 was when they had two races, remember? They had right. they had um, a February race and an October race. Mm-hmm. What was the story behind that one? Uh, it was something to do with Nice. Uh, and, yeah, that's, that's about the extent of it. It was something, to, some clashes with Nice, and then they just they were shifting from the, the date that they'd originally had to shifting it to an October date, which is where it sort of stayed from, from then on. So I guess it was a case of having two races in one year or having a fairly long break between races. Now here's a question. Oh, there's so many questions I have. 85, Tinley, Chris Hinshaw, and then Carl... Kupfer Schmidt from mm. Sweden. There was none of the rock stars in that race in Was that the one where no one right. turned up? Yeah, I think that pretty sure that's right. There was a little bit of a protest as well. And there was probably something to do with prize money around yeah, that I stage as well. Was, so, yeah. Melina, let us know. Now, just one of a quick one 82, third place, uh, equal, a draw. Oh, really? Yeah. So Lynn Brooks and Sully Edwards came in at 11.51, which is pretty slow in today's comparison. But they came across the line together, so they got third place equal. But back then, there would have been no prize money, so... Maybe they just kind of agreed. Yeah. Because Sally Edwards came back the next year and got third place overall by herself. Nice. So interesting watching the times as well. This is the females race. Females race started about 12 hours, kind of by the mid-80s was getting to about 10 hours. And then Paula, how about this? So in 85, the winner was 10.25, and four years later, Paula did nine hours. Mm-hmm. She was the, you know, the equivalent of Dave Scott in terms of really, you know, smashing that 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 time down really quickly. And really, the the nine hour mark stayed the standard. So that was an eighty nine. The nine hour mark in the females race, you know, that was high standard because you still saw some nine thirties, some nine tens, and nine fifteens. Badman won a nine fifty in two thousand and four. That's the year I did it. That's how, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's how slow that year was. But oh, I pray for another year like that. It was well, it wasn't awesome when you're out there, um, but it wasn't really until 2010 where we started to see faster women's times. Mm. So that's pretty phenomenal when you look at it. Whereas you look at the men's racing, they hit the tooth, they hit the kind of nine-hour mark around 83, 8:30 around 86, you know, 8:15 around 
2000. And then in the last five years, we've kind of gone to that next level where eight hours and sub eight is kind of happening as well. But pretty fascinating stuff when we look at that kind of stuff there, John. Okay, this week's discussion, we had Tim Hemmings, he's on fire, John, he is, because he's got two weeks in a row here. What's the strangest place you've trained or links that you've gone to do some training? So quite uh, appropriate in the current climate where some people are probably doing some pretty crazy things. We're in New Zealand, we have uh, on our one network news each night, um, great, they have little, little little clips of people doing things. And there was a triathlete at the weekend, there was a farmer who got his big, big buddy digger out and dug a 25 metre trench, lined it with uh, with with um, with plastic and then poured it full, full of water out of his hose and then he did an Ironman and uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of things so I'm sure there's a few of you guys that are, oh, it was that are going to some lengths to do training A, he, the digger here his family owns <laughs> you know, like, it wasn't like some small digger right? it was like industrial digger um, but then he did the bike on a mountain bike yeah that would, he was out there for a long time you know that was a bloody good effort you mm. know that was, that was sensational but just the initiative to, to build your own pool Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bloody good. Okay, so what is the greatest links you're going to train or the strangest place that you have trained? Thanks to Hemming for that one. Three, two, one. Coaches, Coaches. Connor. Okay, John, you want to talk about Swift? You're, you're hooked on Swift. You're like a kid, a teenager on bloody Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, well, we had a group ride at the weekend, and uh, we I think we probably had around 70 or so starters on the, the, the front. Uh, How many finishes? I'm not quite sure, actually, um, but I think most people that started had intended to finish, so I'm not 100% sure how many completed it, but it was, the Uber Pretzel was a bloody long ride uh, on Zwift. It was 128Ks, I think, with about 2,400 metres of climbing, something like that, and you finished by riding up Elk Duez, um, and obviously when you've got riders of all different abilities, it's quite hard to sort of go, okay, you, you will meet up, and I tried to sort of have a bit of a system going. Um, with the, the front group, with the A group, it worked really really well and so I think if you're going to go on a meetup and you're going to go on these group rides it's really important that you actually try to put yourself in the mindset that you're going on a group ride and the same things that apply out on the road actually do apply fairly well in Zwift so I just want to give a few tips on group riding if you're on Zwift and or on the other platforms, which I assume it works in, the, in a similar sort of way, and this also transfers across to, to if you're going on any group rides uh, out on the road when that all happens for us at different times of hopefully this year. So a few little tips. Keeping a group together is like riding on the road. So when you start, uh, either whether you're restarting from a, from a stop or you're starting at the beginning, really important that you start gently and you focus on trying to keep everybody together, exactly like you'd be on the road. If you're about to start a ride and you just go boom out of the blocks, then you're not going to have any anybody on your wheel and you're not going to be very popular very quickly either. So start gently and keep a focus on trying to keep everybody together. <clears throat> Next point is you need to concentrate uh, as you're going through a ride, and, and on the road that's relatively straightforward because everything is is fairly clear in front of you. But when you're on a group ride in, in a virtual world, uh, especially when there's lots of other people out there riding that maybe aren't part of your group or you're not really concentrating, it's really easy to to get dropped off the back of the group. Um, and if you do that, it's bloody hard to get back on. As a number of people found at the weekend, myself included, you know, if you're sitting there sort of texting a message to somebody or watching 
looking, you know, you're either screened a little bit too closely on whatever's on there, and if you happen to pop off the back, uh, you've got to work really quite hard to get back on. And, uh, you know, especially if you're going over the top of a climb, a couple of uh, listeners, good old the Philinator and uh, do their little secret um, Terry Besidi, they were a few seconds off the back going over one of the volcano climbs, and uh, and then you're off you're off the back, and, and if you don't fight really hard to get back on, um, you can lose minutes very, very quickly. So the drafting effect is is really quite big. Um, and and uh, in comparison to real cycling, is it pretty much on par? Or well, to, to give you an example. Um, Phil and Terry, who, who dropped off the back, they they lost minutes within um, you know before our next stop. So we were humming along at you know 39 to 40 kilometres an hour at a, at, a, at a relatively modest power output, um, and those guys you know would have been several kilometres per hour slower. So it is like being out on the road. If you get dropped off a group of you know 20 athletes, yeah. you're going to lose uh, quite a bit of time quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, so next point, if you're if you're in a bunch, um, try to get in the mindset like you're out on the road. Try to have some little turns on the front. It doesn't work like a pace line where you can just each um, go on the front for a few seconds and then roll to the side. But if you're one of the good riders, try to have some turns on the front. Your power output will change slightly. And likewise, though, if you're a weaker rider, as you would when you're out on the road, your job is just to try to sit in and, and conserve energy because you'll be operating at a, a higher percentage effort than than others in the group. So again, think like you're out on the road. Um, again, like you're on the road, try to move through the pack um, with steady progress rather than big spikes in power. You'll end up, you know, smoking it off the front or, or, or you know, um, careering back through the group really quickly. So try to keep your power output fairly even. And um, there, as, you, as you'd hopefully do on the road, try to keep a bit of a lookout for athletes um, if you are trying to keep the group together well. And by that, I mean if somebody gets popped off the back, um, have some sort of policy before you're going on the ride, which we didn't do at the weekend, as to whether you're going to wait up for riders to get popped off or if it's just tough luck. You know, So just try to get that communication out before you start. So the way you can do that um, for, for people that are maybe a bit new to Zwift, if you're on the companion app, um, you can actually look at the riders nearby and the riders that you follow and that'll give you a split to how far they might be behind so if somebody's 10 seconds behind just going over one of the big climbs and you've still got you know a long way to go it might be quite nice just to, to wait up for them and uh, and try to help pull them through. So um, a couple of other things that we did at the weekend, um, we had some designated stop points. Uh, so we had, uh, f- I think it was 42 Ks and 90 Ks. We said, right, we're stopping here, having a five-minute break, and uh, you can go off to the toilet, or and that gives people a, a chance to, to catch up or maybe a little bit off the back. Uh, and then the final tip that I think I probably said last week as well is when you're doing some of these long rides, um, be really mindful that when you're going above 57 kilometres an hour, um, you can freewheel and just you'll roll down the hill and you won't lose any time. So you just go into like a tuck and you can actually stop pedaling and have a bit of a, a break like you would if you were out on the road. 57k is a pretty quick bit. It is. I mean, you, 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 when you're going at a, at a higher speed, uh, at a lower speed, yeah, you can you can ease off the pedaling. But um, when you go above 57, then you can go into a tuck and, and you're not losing any time. What does it feel like when you're riding downhill on Swift? Uh, or it depends what sort of train you've got. If you're on one, like I've got a, a Wahoo kicker, it doesn't feel, it just makes it really, really easy. If you want to keep pedaling, then you've got to go into a really big gear, but it doesn't, um, you don't get a rush of air through your hair. <laughs> Have you ever tried the, the, the things where they go up and down? 
No, I have not. The the the, the kicker climb is what it's called. No, what's, I haven't. What's the feedback on that? Uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's um obviously you can't go down. I mean, you can go from flat to maybe. I'm not sure if it goes negative gradient, but it certainly wouldn't go down too far. Um, right. but no, I think it's uh, it just adds to the experience. But I wonder if that like in comparison, like if you're on the flat. If you're on your kicker, which does not have the kind of up and down ability, and then I'm on the one that goes up and down, I wonder if it's fair and how it balances that out between the intensities that each person's pushing. Pushing. Um, I think the main thing would be that it's just going to make uh, uh, your pressure points on your undercarriage a little bit different um, just by moving those angles around. I think that would be one of the key things that it does. It'd be better for your riding, wouldn't it, if you had it? Because then you're changing yeah. body position and... Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. What does it cost? No idea, Bevan. Everyone, John, John, there's a Christmas present, John. Exactly. <laughs> Come on, Belinda. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've got an interview coming up. Uh, an interview with who, Jombo? We're talking to Greg McDermott from Australia, who rode around Australia, and you're going to hear from him now. Right, here we go. Might as well hit record as well, Bevan, yeah. and I'll go around too. Okay, guys, so you heard earlier in the show about today's guest, who's called Greg McDermott. He's gone on a pretty interesting challenge we're going to hear about. He's lost a whole bunch of weight from 2014 to do Ironman, Ultraman, and do a crazy adventure around Australia. So, Greg, uh, second time lucky here because we had some sound issues, but welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It sounds like, I think I said to you before, it sounds like I'm listening to a podcast, hearing both your voices at once. <laughs> oh, mate, we, we've, I've, I've, I followed your progress a little bit as you, you rode around Australia, so I'm, I'm keen to hear some more about this today. So t- tell us what life looked like for you, you know, before triathlon and uh, where, where you were sort of heading before you actually uh, found the sport. Yeah, cool. So uh, 2014, I was a 110 kilogram gentleman um, selling real estate in the northern suburbs of Sydney or northwestern suburbs and and uh, pretty much not really enjoying life too much. Um, but if uh, outside of looking in, you'd probably think that I was. I was, um, I'm sure we've all been to weddings. So I was the guy at the end of the wedding that was looking for a group to go out with. That was always <laughs> me. So um, and I remember, you know, distinctly going to a mate's wedding and I was in the bridal party and I couldn't do up the vest that had fitted me eight weeks before and I was like, I've got to change this. So, um, so that, that, uh, that was about, not about, that was about uh, the 5th of January and I started training on the 8th, so um, in 2014 and uh, set about doing, um, I always wanted to do an Ironman, so it took me 14 months um, from January 20, I must have been 2013 actually, guys, and then did my first uh, Ironman, Ironman Melbourne 2014. So just, just, was, um, just like the breaking point, you know, the vest is, is the moment you identify with, but what was really the breaking point where you're like, something has to change? I've uh, just been totally unhappy, Bevan. Like it's, um, you know, I'd, I'd get up in the morning, most especially if it was a, a weekend morning, I'd be hung over like nothing else um, and just – you know, driving to work and grabbing a coffee and six cinnamon donuts on the way to work. And, you know, and, um, you know, I was 30 and uh, didn't really have anyone in my life then as well. So you sort of look at it and you're like, where am I going here? You know, I was, you know, outside looking in happy, but deep down, I just uh, like I'd wake up every night in the middle of the night, just going, what am I doing? And, and then, but it was genuinely that moment when I'm like, this is it. But, um, when I told my mates that, they all laughed because I'd said this three or four times before. Oh, so you had and, uh, Correct, yeah. So um, the best thing I did was make a bet with a mate that I wouldn't have a beer for nine months. And um, so that was – and we put a 1000 bucks around it. And the last thing you want to do is give your best mate a 1000 bucks. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, so I didn't have a beer for nine months and started, I got a personal trainer who was great, um, a guy in, in Sydney, Stephen DeFries, and we did three sessions a week uh, with him one-on-one um, with Vision Personal Training and then and then I was training six days a week straight away. So I had ridden before and done a couple of small tries, but nothing, you know, I always... I was the guy that showed up to Port Macquarie and said, oh, one day I'd love to do that. But then by three o'clock in the afternoon, I was in the bar with uh, with the nine-hour guys having a beer. So it was uh, it was definitely something that was always on the list. And um, once I sort of made that decision, it was like, right, what are the steps? So I think I did three or four halves in that year and um, really just focused on do it six, seven sessions a week and you know, showed up to Melbourne thinking I'd do a, a 10 and a half hour Ironman and did 12 hours 20, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we Most people's first experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I remember crossing the finish line thinking I can't wait to do this again. And I think, um, you know, now being a coach, I think there's, you see as an athlete, you sort of go one or two ways there. You either, you know, it's it's a bucket list sort of thing or or you never move away from the sport. Just, um, just, so. just th- during that period, did what did you learn about yourself outside just that I can be fitter and I can achieve fitness goals. Yeah, I've, I always had read, you know, you, um, you'll, I've always read like motivational books and listen to people and all that sort of stuff and they're like anything is possible and you can do whatever you want and, and I was like, yeah, whatever, like it you know, has to do with your background and whatever but um, genuinely that's the biggest learning I got out of it is that you can actually achieve whatever you want in life. Um, you know, it's uh, as long as there's a process in place and um, there's a bit of planning around what you want to do. You can pretty much do whatever you want. Um, so, so that sort of really honed in on me that I can do this. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't need a, a job that paid me two hundred or three hundred grand a year anymore. I didn't need to drive a nice car. It didn't. It just didn't matter. Mm. Um, all that mattered. I was pretty driven. Like I lost a lot of friends through that year. Also, I inverted commas now friends, but they were probably people that I didn't really need to be around anyway. Yeah. Um, so huge changeover in that. And, uh, one of the funny things, um, looking back on it is that, uh, a, a group of mates and uh, pretty much none of them, I, I still, I don't talk to any of them anymore, not through anything bad, but they, <laughs> they actually started a Facebook page, uh, and it was called bring back big Greg cause they thought I wasn't fun anymore. So <laughs> what's funny so that, is that it's funny to say that cause I know when I gave up my kind of lifestyle like that, it's hard for you to be around those people because, you make them feel guilty about their behaviours. So it's almost like they need to bring you back to justify their own behaviours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that it was sort of, it was. I, th- I think now looking back on it and, and having a better understanding of how people work, it was probably more of a reflection of how they felt in themselves yeah. rather than what they actually thought about me. Um, because, and um, I know that none of those guys would listen to this, so I don't really care, but uh, <laughs> probably, they're probably still sitting in the pub on a Saturday afternoon and uh, waiting for me to walk in after work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, I was, I'd finish work as a real estate agent and then get to the pub at four o'clock and play catch up um, and then head out into the city. So that was just a lifestyle that I didn't, like my, my mum was pretty much the only person in the world that really knew where I was at and she was worried that I was either going to be end up in jail or in, inside a, a nice pine box. So um, so she was probably the happiest person that I decided to make a bit of a change, to be honest. So it's, um, yeah. So what, what actually, you mentioned earlier on that um, you'd wanted to do an Ironman, but what, what was it about Ironman that actually tickled your fancy and, and that you actually thought was going to be achievable? Yeah, I, I uh, went on a family holiday to Diamond Beach up near Foster in about, I'm going to say it was about 1998, 
And um, anyway, I went down to Foster to have a coffee or whatever I was doing, have a swim. I'm like, what the hell is this thing going on? And um, and that was the Foster Ironman. And um, and I remember, I still remember um, Macca, uh, whatever year it was, Macca won, and I watched him come up. It was blue carpet then. And I was like, I'm going to do one of these one day. And I came home and said to my partner at the time, I'm like, yeah, this, looks, this sport looks pretty cool. And she was pretty supportive of it and, like, get into it and do all that sort of stuff. But I was, I was 20 – oh, no, I was 18. I was 18. So sort of like that sort of lit the fire. Um, and then I got involved um, a little bit later. So 2004, I got right into cycling through an injury uh, through playing soccer and, and um, started cycling. And I ended up going over to uh, – to do a, a trip around France following the tour on a bike. Um, so there wasn't really much triathlon going on then, but a um, couple of sprints. I think I did the Nepean try in 2004, um, mm-hmm. but then nothing. And then it was just I pretty much did, you know, I might start doing something or I'd say um, I reckon 2009 or 10. I reckon I entered an Ironman. I definitely know I entered one and I made that donation to Ironman that was never fulfilled. <laughs> Um, and then it was another four years of, you know, I'm going to be a real estate agent now and I'm going to, you know, tear the world apart and earn a shitload of money and, you know, buy a nice house in Sydney on the beach and all that sort of stuff. And, and just deep down, that just wasn't me. Um, it just took me until I was 30 or 31 to really realize what I wanted to do. You go, you go Bevan. Okay, okay. So, so, so you kind of had this progression. You got into Ironman, you did some Ironman, but you kind of went a bit crazy on it. So you went to Ultraman, you biked around Australia. How did that kind of go from... You know, I'm going to do an Ironman to I'm a nutbar. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had the 2014, I did an I did uh, Ironman Melbourne and then um, loved it. Ten weeks later, went up to Cairns and I did Ironman Cairns. And, um, and then I started, um, I met a guy at Ironman who uh, I now work with full time, Tim Ballantyne, who, um, who just laid out an 8.52 that day in, in Melbourne in his first day of Ironman. And, um, <laughs> and he was coached by Craig Percival. And um, mm. and Craig, I'm sure Craig's name comes up on your podcast every mm. second week. Um, so um, and then I started following Craig and, and noticed that Craig had done Ultraman, and there was a, in 2015 was the inaugural um, Ultraman Australia, and um, so I was like, oh, geez, that looks pretty cool. Let's have, let's check it out. And I uh, got in touch with Craig, and he's like, oh, you know, whatever was going. I don't remember the whole conversation or anything, but um, it just ended up being that whatever was going on in 2015 didn't work. And I was like, well, that's it. 2016, I'm doing it. So um, signed up and crossed my fingers and toes because they're, they're getting, I think they're getting about 150 applications now for that event. So um, got into the event and um, and definitely did not train enough. <laughs> I can <laughs> say that. Um, pretty much self-coached. Um, and um, if I ever go back to do it, I'm not saying I am because my partner April will kill me at the moment, but um, <laughs> if I ever went back to do it, I would totally change the way I trained for it. But I think, um, going back to your question, I think it was more that all or nothing attitude that's pretty much served me since I was, I'm going to say, 13 or 14. So I'm either all in or all out. Um, and I think that shows with, you know, putting on a shitload of weight and um, being unhappy to then saying, well, that's it, I'm not drinking any more full stop and I'm going to chase down these goals. Um, so that's sort of, I think I was just looking up the road for the next adventure, if you like. Um, and I always knew deep down that I, I, 
I, I still only had this conversation with myself and with Tim um, a few months ago that, you know, yeah, sure, I'd love to go to Kona one day, but I'm, a, you know, if I get down to the weight that I finished my ride around Australia, I'm 78 kilos trying to get off the bike and run a 320 marathon against guys who are 65. Um, mm. So maybe I'm not that athlete. Um, and I think that was an important um, thing to realise as well, like going to Ultraman, you don't have to be the fastest guy. It's a little bit of a different sort of beast, I suppose, than, uh, than Ironman. So what, what would be some of the key advice you'd uh, give to yourself and, uh, and to other people that are maybe a bit like you going into Ultraman a little bit blind, maybe self-coach, you know, in terms of things you'd do differently or you'd advise others to do differently if, if they were going to, you know, come from a, a fairly similar background to you, you know, relatively new to the sport yeah. um, and, and sort of a fairly quick build up to those sort of distances? Yeah, two things. First thing, find five people that have done it before there's enough people around oh three find three people that have done it before the community is really good around being able to help people um and give some really good advice and the second probably the biggest tip i can give um you'll love this john get a coach for God's sake. Like, <laughs> seriously um it's just the guidance and that you get from coaching and 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 sometimes it's um you know, a lot of people out there will attest to this that are listening. It's not so much about the program that comes through on a whatever day of the week or month it is. It's the accountability and the mateship you get from having a coach. Um, you know, that person you can ring and go, mate, you know what? I'm really struggling at the moment. So, right, let's just dial it back for a week or, you know, what's got, what else is, you know, when I speak to my athletes, one of the first things I ask them, I'll attest to this, is what's going on in your life? <laughs> like, what's happening? You know, so... Um, you know, in our business, we don't coach any um, professional athletes. So for, for most athletes in the world, um, apart from a very small percentage, triathlon or endurance multi-sport or whatever you want to call it comes usually third in your life. So it's usually family, work, and then, you know, and then your hobby, if you want to call it that, or sport. So and at different times in your life and or the year, those, those that sort of pie can twist around a bit, you know. So I always try to ask athletes 12 weeks out from an Ironman, is your partner on board with this? Because we're going to be doing 16 to 20 hours a week. Mm. <laughs> um, so I think they're probably the two biggest things. I would I would definitely reach out to a few athletes that have um, that have completed the course, um, wherever that is you're going, whether it's, you know, there's, I think there's about eight races now around the world. So Hawaii and, and Noosa is obviously our home one here and uh, Penticton. I think there's two in Canada now, Arizona. To reach mm. out to the people that have done it before and ask them what – you know, get some tips. Um, you know, one of the one of the best guys in uh, in the Iron Talk community for that is uh, our big French mate Arno, uh, mm. who's always uh, who's always flying the flag for Ultraman and and that sort of endurance. And, you know, you've had Mel Yuri on the show, I'm, I'm sure, and mm. these sort of people. Um, and you know, Craig was a huge um, a huge part of that for me. Um, he did his eight in eight in eight um, just about oh, I think it was two months before I did Ultraman. So. I went out and met him. I was living in Sydney and I went out and met him on the run course. And um, so he's day six into doing eight Ironmans in eight states of Australia. And uh, he doesn't, he's a bit delirious. Um, but I, <laughs> I, we walked the marathon that night and, and um, I still remember, I'd ne I actually never met him face to face until then. I'd spoken to him on the phone and he goes, Greg, he goes, we've got five hours to talk about Ultraman. So, <laughs> you know, he gave me all the ins and outs of, what to do and what not to do um, coming into an Ultraman. Nice. So l this obviously led on to biking around Australia. Um, again, similar questions to previously. What was the motivation and, and where did the sort of, uh, 
I know the spark sort of come for doing this. Yeah, I started to, um, I was probably in 2015, I'm going to say, I started to look at, uh, obviously I enjoy riding my bike, otherwise you wouldn't do something like that. Um, started to look at riding from Perth to Sydney and uh, across the Nullarbor, so it's about a three and a half thousand kilometre ride, probably the most boring ride you could ever do. Um, mm. And um, started researching it and how do you do it? Do you do it yourself? Do you do it, take a van? Do you, you know, have support? And um, I found a guy named Dave Alley, and um, he's a Queensland-based, he's a police officer, actually, and um, I found out that Dave held the record for riding around Australia. So I just sort of reached out to him and said, look, this is what I'm looking to do. Can you help me? Can we have a chat? And uh, he rang me, and he he said, "Um, Greg, can I just ask you one question? I'm like, well, what's that? And he goes, well, I'm married and got four kids and another one on the way, and I rode and ran around Australia, so why don't you just do that? And I was like... Yeah, okay. Um, that's a bit different. So, uh, so, so that sort of honestly, that's how it sort of uh, popped up. And um, and we were, I was with uh, so my partner April, who I met through losing all this weight. She never knew me as a fatty, which is probably a good thing. Um, she um, was really supportive from the start, and um, was starting to get into triathlon herself. And so she volunteered to um, to crew the thing by herself. Um, so we went out, well, I went out to a bookshop and bought a map of Australia and spent six weeks putting pins in a map to see if it was doable and how long it was going to take and, you know, what one of the biggest things around it was how are we going to finance this bloody thing? Like it's mm. uh, three months of uh, neither of us earning a dollar. Um, mm. So it was um, it was a huge, huge, um, huge undertaking. But, um, again, like um, I, I sort of started to – not started to, I, I lent on a lot of my old connections where I lived in northwest Sydney, uh, a lot of businesses who I worked with, people who I'd sold houses for, and um, we actually ran a crowdfunding campaign um, mm. to, to fundraise some money um, for the cost of the trip. So uh, one of the biggest things I did, at which I'd recommend anyone doing um, for the accountability side of things um, mainly, but secondly and just as importantly to help out a really good cause is um, I tied in a really cool charity in Sydney called Father Chris Riley's Youth Off the Streets. And um, they're all about um, connecting homeless kids with education and living arrangements and all this sort of stuff. And um, we, um, we we tied them at, as the fundraising. So uh, the, the trip cost us 50 grand. Um, we, we crowdfunded 30 to cover some of those costs. Um, and then we raised 30 grand for the charity, which was amazing. Nice. So. Yeah, and I think uh, one, of the, one of the best things to do, like, that I did um, for that trip is to have those, um, on day one, I had 10 kids, like, genuinely kids that come from homelessness. They came and ro- rode with me for the first 80K. Some of them have never nice. had never ridden that far, and that sort of tied it in for the whole trip. It's like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I, it's 45 degrees today, and I'm riding into a headwind at 20Ks an hour. What am I doing this for? So it was always good to be able to draw back on that like these kids don't have a you know i grew up mum and dad are still together and there was a roof over my head and i went to a private school and these kids are you know one kid told me that he you know one of the reasons he didn't live at home anymore was because his stepfather pulled a shotgun on him and told him to get out like i'm like <laughs> the hell so um so that was really cool um and then that's that's sort of how the how the trip we took um about seven. So when I did Ultraman, I knew that I wanted to do the ride. Um, so I sort of announced it at the Ultraman dinner at the end <laughs> of it and said, I'm going to do this. And um, 
And honestly, Arno was one of the guys that got right behind me and a lot of that community, um, it's a pretty sticky little community, the Ultraman family, and um, they really got behind me and helped me and shared it out and, you know, I had people show up in the middle of nowhere in Australia that are like, oh, such and such told me to come out and ride with you. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So, <laughs> nice. um, yeah. So, so just just in terms of, you know, I'm always interested in the planning side of things. You know, I run a lot of camps and, and it is, like you said, you know, for me it's not necessarily getting a mat and putting pins in it. It's more for me when you've got groups, you know, I'm going, okay, we've got to get from here to here. We've got to have decent accommodation. Um, got to be able to feed, you know, restaurants and so on. Were, were you sort of going city to city or did you like have a camper van? How did you sort of plan, you know, how far you were going to ride each time, each day? Yeah, so um, the first, um, the first, so I started in Sydney, the first 10k 10 days um are relatively straightforward because you're riding up the east coast of australia which is obviously heavily populated um mm-hmm. and I, I had a lot of fam- mates and stuff that helped me out though so we did we had a we had a six birth camper van so we had you know two spare bikes um food like you name it we had it we had everything um ready to go um but then once you take a left-hand turn at Townsville, uh, when you say cities, uh, that would be a stretch. Um, so basically you get – so the whole top end of Australia, apart from Darwin, but so for those two weeks across the top end, you basically get a roadhouse that may or may not have water um, mm. for uh, probably every 200, 200 250 k. Mm. Um and then a little town that'll have a pub, but the pub's also the post office, the you name it, the bread shop. That it's just one little hub of, um, and all the all the farming community comes into that place pretty much on a daily basis, usually for a beer. Um, mm. But um, that's sort of what we did. And then um, one of the biggest challenges, which I didn't, um, we didn't really count on, um, is the heat. Um, and I knew it would be hot during the day, which is fine. I could manage that with, you know, plenty of cold drinks and all that sort of stuff. But sleeping at night uh, with no air conditioning is virtually impossible um, mm-hmm. up there. So mm-hmm. we um, we found power every night apart from three, I think. Um, so uh, and that was then a financial thing that we didn't count on was it was 50 to 60 bucks a night just to plug power in. Um mm-hmm because they all work on diesel generator. There's no town power or town water. Um, so these these little towns are getting 20,000 litres of diesel pumped in a month just to keep the power going. Like, mm. it's absolutely amazing, like, how they um, how they operate. So that was – and then, um, obviously, as you get more remote, the cost of food, which I was eating a, an absolute tonne of food, obviously, um, goes up um, and then – there's a lack of fresh food, so obviously doing a, a, a you know a trip like that, you've got to keep on top of your nutrition. Um, so that was a big challenge, and there was a lot of like, you know, we had a freezer that you could have fit you know two one point two five liter bottles of coke in, so there wasn't a whole mm. freezer space. So there was a lot of microwave stuff going on, and mm. you know finding whatever we could really um, to to keep going and. That was um, yeah, a couple of challenges that we didn't expect, especially with that heat. Um, one of the nights that we uh, didn't get aircon was actually the grand final of the rugby league. I, I'll never forget it. I sat in the front of the van and listened to the listened to the um, uh, to the uh, the broadcast on, on radio, and then tried to sleep. So I reckon I might have slept for half an hour. So I've done. 250Ks and I've got another 250 to do tomorrow in 40 degrees with no sleep. So there was a couple of um, 
couple of interesting interesting days and a, and a couple of good tests on the relationship. But, um, mm. but, but we all we worked it all out. So it's um, you know we didn't have we didn't have too many like really like I'd say low days. Um, you know there was one day where April um, and not her fault whatsoever, but she did bog the van. Um, so that <laughs> pretty uh, that got interesting. Um, no no mobile reception and and I ride up and the van is like two wheels into some red mud and not going anywhere so um <laughs> sort of just stand on the side of the road and hope that the next person that pulls up's not Ivan Malat's brother and, <laughs> uh, and tow you out of the mud so um so a couple of things like that you know um just just some really interesting stuff like um you know some days you you know you just get stopped because there's literally a thousand cattle on the road like you just like, well, can't ride through them um because there's no fences on the properties and uh you know you can ride for you'll see a sign for a property a cattle station and then you'll ride like eight hours like you'll see it at 5 30 in the morning and then you'll see the sign for the end of the property like in the afternoon um and it's just like wow this is a big country like it's just um it's pretty amazing actually the the landscape out there it is massive. So, so roughly, you you were saying, you know, two two hundred fifty k's a day. Was that the norm, or what? What yeah. were you sort of averaging? Yeah, I averaged um, for the whole trip one hundred and eighty five a day. Um, mm. So anything, I think my longest day was three ten, and the shortest day was eighty five. So anything, um, anything in between, really. So I think um, I ended up um, doing. I think it took seventy eight days. And I think twenty five of those days were over two hundred. So um, I tried to sort of do three big days and then one lighter day so and um people always like oh so you didn't have any days off but it's like no i didn't but for one reason i got some advice around not doing that because your body might tend to shut down a little bit um mm -hmm. there's a little bit of research and stuff with the grand tour riders and not that i was you know going at that intensity but they all ride 50 or 60 k's on the rest days um mm -hmm. because they want to keep the body ticking over so um, as much as people like, oh, you rode every day. It's like, well, some days I remember one day into Geraldton in Western Australia, I did 85 kilometres. So I left the van at 5.30 in the morning and I was done by 9am. So that's pretty much a 24-hour off then. Um, mm. So it was, um, yeah, so as much as we did, all I had to do was ride. Um, and and as, as, I mean, I make that sound pretty simple, but... Some days I think April's job, my partner April, was, was harder um, for her to keep me motivated and, and moving forward and making food and putting up with my shit, to be honest. <laughs> so um, some days I think we're, I used to say to her, like, I, you can do this without me, i.e. drive the van around Australia, but I can't do it without you. So mm -hmm. um, you need that, um, that support um, to come through as well. So... And I had a couple of mates come out and do a couple of days. I had one mate fly to Geraldton in Western Australia and do three days with me down the West Coast. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool, um, just to break it up a bit. Um, What's Australia like? I mean, we're, we're Kiwis and we kind of know Australia a bit. We've got lots of international viewers, Americans, Brits, you know, in Europe. What's Australia actually like? Because we know, you know, as you said, the eastern seaboard, well populated. You've got Sydney, Brisbane, etc., all the way up there. Then at least Kiwis know that across the top is going to be bugger all, as you said, other than Darwin. And But the, the, the rest, you know, in terms of the, the west coast and then coming back across um, the southern sort of coast, what's that like? Yeah, um, it's it's just so remote. It's um, it's it's amazing. Like um, I think um, 
if you're a, say for example you're living in the UK which I've spent a bit of time over there because dad's Irish and you get sort of a, an appreciation for what people think Australia's like and some people literally think it's um, it's an oasis because they see cans uh, they see you know the east coast beaches at Byron Bay and then they've got these funky cities like Melbourne and all but genu- genuinely that's about two percent of the country um, mm. so and like 90 percent of the population obviously lives in that two percent but um as i said before once you turn left out of townsville um it's just it's a it's a desert it's literally a desert there's nothing out there it's um you can ride your bike in the middle of the road for seven hours like there's um you know i think the longest stretch i went without a a truck passing me because generally they were trucks um was two and a half hours of riding so without any like i didn't see a a human um and then you go across the top and it's it's pretty amazing. Like it's it's obviously an ancient riverbed. I'm, don't quote me on geography and geology, but um, you can see the way the sand dunes roll and, and how it's all crafted out over obviously millions of years. And some days I just stop and just watch. Um, you know, you, you, you don't see anything, but it's just this landscape that goes as far as your eye can see. Um, when you hit the West Coast, um, it's still pretty barren. Um, it's still really deserty, if that's a word, um, mm. all down to pretty much down to Perth. It starts picking up around oh, 500 k's north of Perth. You start to get some civilization, but it's, there's not much there apart from Broome. Um, a lot of mining towns. Um, so, so some days um, like Caratha and Port Hedland, they're just like the world's bucket of iron ore coming out of the ground. So every you could nearly look at your watch and every 20 seconds a truck would pass you one way going out to the coast and an mm. empty truck would pass you coming back it mm. was um it was amazing um so then you when you get down south it's beautiful through um the southern end of western australia is really hilly um you get down to the bottom to albany which is sort of next stop antarctica so it starts to get pretty fresh down there again mm. Mm-hmm. um and then once you hit the nullarbor it's a it's a snooze fest uh for 1200 k's across the Nullarbor, if um, my advice to anyone, I've spoken to a lot of people that are like, oh, what's the Nullarbor like? It's like, get in a plane and look at it from the window. Like, <laughs> honestly, it's, uh, it's, it, was the, it took me six days. It's 1,200 Ks across, took me six days, and it's probably the most uh, the most boring six days of riding in my life. Um, it's uh, There's not a whole lot to see across there. Like some of the uh, Indian Pacific wheel race guys and and girls now that have, I've spoken to, they're like, what's the Nullarbor like? I'm like, mate, I can imagine what it's going to be like when you're by yourself because even with uh, my mum joined us for the Nullarbor section. She always wanted to see it and uh, she got to day five and she's like, well, I never need to come back here. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, I don't know anything about it. Is it just straight roads? Is it decent? Yeah. Uh, Road surface is amazing because it's a it's a truck corridor, obviously uh, from east to west. Um, so you've got a no shoulder, but pretty. I'd say um, like from what I, I haven't ridden over your way, but a, a lot of like everyone always talks about the Kiwi roads being like a bigger chip, like a harder yeah. harder riding. So probably a bit like that. Um, definitely not hot mix, um, but pretty good road surface all the way across. Um, and then yeah, it's just straight. Like the, um, it's got the the longest straight road in the world, I believe. So really? there is not a turn in the road for 187 k's or something like that. Wow. Um, and it's um, you'll do like a 200 k day, and 
you look at your um, look at your Wahoo or whatever you got at the end of the day, and you've done 160 meters of elevation in 200 days. <laughs> it's yeah. like you know, I live in Noosa now, so I do that in you know a 15k ride. So it's um, it's pretty remote and pretty flat, um, which can have its challenges as a cyclist because yeah. you're never getting out of the saddle. Like my to this day, so four years later, I still. Uh, when I get over, say, 150 k's on the bike in a ride, I feel like there's a dagger in the top of my shoulder, and that that came from that ride. I've never been able to sort of um, to get rid of it. So every day, it'd just feel like someone was sinking a, a knife into my top of my shoulder for you know probably the first four hours, and then it'd sort of loosen up. Nice. Um, and it's not like you can get a, a massage when you're in the middle of the desert. So yeah. it's yeah. Oh, it sounds like a wicked adventure. Pretty um, yeah, yeah, it is. Any, Bevan, you got any other questions no, around I think uh, you, you covered it pretty well, but bloody it's just madness. What, what was it like finishing it? Oh, amazing! It was awesome. It was probably one of the best days of my life, to be honest. It, um, we had uh, on the first day we had about twenty-five riders come and join me. So part of the crowdfunding campaign, we tried to get a bit creative with it. Um, and I think it was from memory, if you if you chucked in a hundred bucks, you could come and ride the last day. Um, so we had a, about a hundred riders on the last day, which nice. was pretty awesome. Nice. Um, and, uh, it was along the M7 bike path in Sydney. So all sealed. Um, I reckon 20 or 30 of those people had never ridden like 80, 90 Ks in a day. So that was pretty cool. And, and then I had a mate, um, who a local copper came out and gave us a police escort up the, up the last section, uh, which was mm-hmm. really cool as well. So. And then had a uh, back to the pub for a bit of a bit of a shindig and um, and that sort of stuff. So pretty amazing. Um, probably one of the hardest parts of the whole trip was the next day. To be honest, I was like, "Holy shit, what are we going to do now?" Yeah. So neither of us neither of us had a job. Um, we had a we had a camper van that had to go back to the higher place within the next two days. So I had to clean that up, and uh, and then we started. You know, I started looking at you know what do I want to do now. Well, I wanted to be a coach. So. Mm. Um, so we started working towards that, but it took me, uh, yeah, another four years to, to now to, I'd say three years, we're probably a year into being in a good place now, but three years to really build my, you know, passion of getting into coaching. So it was um, awesome. So if, if anybody does want to find out about the trip, I know you were documenting it on Facebook from memory. Um, yeah. did, did, did you actually document it any, anywhere if people want to actually go and uh, look through it all? Well, to be honest, not really. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, that's a job for another day. Yeah. Oh mate, you know, like it's it's like uh, you know, so there's probably a hundred hours of footage there. But um, I think we've all been in the place. It's like, holy shit, I've got to get to doing this. Um, but yeah, just uh, probably the best place to just add me on Facebook. There is some really cool stuff on there. Some really cool stuff on Instagram as well. I think uh, my Instagram's Greg McDermott Coach. So it's um, there's there's some really cool videos of that you know. Ch- like riding along and there's EUs just running in front of you and stuff. So it's um yeah, it's pretty there's some pretty cool stuff there if you drag back a few years. But uh, oh, yeah. yeah, on to the next adventure. So, um, and what, one of those adventures you're on at the moment is um is getting stuck into your Zwifting and uh, you set up the Coa Sports League. Um now lots of our listeners will be on Zwift and they will have heard me talking about it in the last few weeks with all the lockdown and stuff and I've been on there but I'm still relatively new to the the gaming side of things um so t- tell us what Coa Sports League is and how that's different to just um jumping on Zwift and say entering any sort of random race yeah sure um yeah so um I teamed up with Tim Tim owns a founder and owner at Coa Sports teamed up with him 18 months ago um as a full-time coach and um we sort of found that 
the online space was growing. Um, so we put our foot in the water way over 12 months ago now with um, a private league on Zwift to pretty much engage. So we coach athletes in about 28 countries at the moment. Um, so it's really hard, as you know, John, like to, to keep um, that community engagement going with people that live in different countries. So we started running, um, we got in contact with Zwift uh, when they were not as busy as they are. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, and, and set up our own private private league and events. And it was the first time they did it. So um, our athletes were able to compete against one another last year. And we ran like a, a series with points and things. And and then uh, January this year, we were at the Tour Down Under and we sat down on the plane and on the way home and nutted out season two, um, which we're always going to launch in March. But uh Things in the world obviously changed dramatically um, through that period, and um, we, we we were always going to make it free uh, for year two. Um, but what happened um, with things happening in the world is with subscriptions. I I'd hate to think what sort of percentage growth that business yeah. has had, but uh, it it definitely uh, enhanced the uh, opportunity for us to get athletes involved in the league. So. What the where the league differs is that um, we're running we run a verified race every week. So one of the biggest complaints that we always hear from people on uh, any e-cycling platform, to be honest, is the level of um, cheating or not. Or name call it cheating. Sometimes it's just new users who don't understand the software, to be honest, um, mm. or the hardware. Um, so we connected with uh, we got a really good relationship with Training Peaks and. Um, every athlete that enters can have a free Training Peaks account. And what it means is that as a, um, let's say, as a, a well, a, as a business, COA can look at your performance and have a, you know, if there's any questions about it, we can sort of say, well, that's a bit questionable that you're pushing mm. uh, bigger watts than uh than Jan Fredino for 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, so, it's, been, so it's, it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a level of, um, you know, testing, if you like, or, you know, number, we just gather their data um, on racing and things like that. Um, we've had a bit of pushback from a few um, professional athletes as well about sharing their data. Um, yeah. but, but to be honest, I think most of them have, have got over that now because they understand that to have the integrity in, in a race situation that's virtual, you've got to be sharing. Um, you know, weight's obviously the biggest thing that you can do in Zwift uh, on any esports platform to affect your performance because it all works on what's per kilo. So there's there's even a couple of Facebook pages out there now where you can, you know, video your weight, your weight, um, which is pretty cool. So I think it's called Zwift Transparency is one of them. So, um, so it's just put a level of integrity around the racing that you're racing for um, something that's worthwhile rather than, you know, someone that's buzzing up the road who – you know, you look at their performance and they're, they're smashing you. Your heart rate's 170 beats a minute and they're at 125. Well, yeah. it doesn't really matter who you are in the world. That's sort of not possible. So um, it's um, it's been really good. So we've got 750-odd um, uh, athletes joined uh, today, this morning. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Cycling New South Wales and Cycling Queensland uh, have come on board and they're going to run a virtual state of origin, um, which starts nice. on um, – Starts on Thursday, so uh, I'm going back to my roots as a cockroach um, and in the Blues Jumper, and Tim will represent the Cane Toads, and uh, we'll have a, have a bit of fun with that as well. So, so yeah, we run it. We run a live broadcast every week as well, which really engages people. Um, so I know I've seen you on the races, John. I don't know if you've yes. on the broadcast yet, but uh, we reckon there's a we reckon now that there's there's three FTPs. You've got your FTP on the road. 
you've got your Zwift FTP, which is obviously always a little bit higher. And then we've invented a third one called the Broadcast FTP. So if you've got a bit of TV time uh, on Facebook, you tend to push a little bit harder. Yeah, so. nice. <laughs> um, final question I've got is just quick, quick fire, a couple of tips you've got for people with Zwift racing, just uh, just other than t- turning up early and being on the start line <laughs> yeah. and um, starting like a maniac, just, any, uh, just a couple of quick random tips. Yeah, so the first one is uh, the, one of the biggest ones, do not race on a TT bike. You cannot draft. You don't yes. get any draft effects. So uh, it's always a trap for young players, that one. Um, and probably uh, the biggest, uh, the second biggest one for me is understand the course. Um, so, you know, for example, we did one last week on uh, Crit City. So every two kilometres you pick up a power-up. Um, so understand what power-ups are and what they do. Um it's, uh, we use the four main ones in our races um, with the lightweight, draft boost, aero boost, and we throw in there the small bonus, which is a pain in the ass when it just gives you 10 XP points when you're looking for a feather. But uh, <laughs> and, and if you're listening and none of that, mate, if that sounds like Hebrew or something or Dutch, just uh, just Google mm. it. You'll uh, that they're probably two of the um, two of the biggest ones, and get a warm up in. I mean, it's mm. um, in a Zwift race, as you know, if you've done one. It's uh, it's probably 130% or more of FTP for the first two minutes, so you need to be warm before you uh, before you do it. Exactly. Oh, last tip, random tip: turn the bloody fan on. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all done it. So get before you start. Doesn't matter how how cold it is. I imagine New Zealand's getting a lot cooler than what it is here now. So turning the fan on when it's under 10 degrees is probably a bit uh, counterintuitive. But get your fan on early. Brilliant. Love it. Guys, if you want to go and check out what Greg's up to, go gregmcdermottcoach.com. We'll have a link for that on um, I Am Talk as well. Greg, love your work, love the adventure, and love your journey. So thanks very much for your time. Keep it up, mate. Boys, and have a good day. Brilliant. And we are back. We haven't done this interview yet. You guys have heard it, but we're doing it later on today. So we can't really talk about that. But what we can talk about, John, is Winger of the Week. Arnold Sulikoff took it out, uh, which is kind of... I didn't even give you a number. Oh, he took it out. Oh, he, he did the most volume. And what I was going to say is I'm pretty sure he had some influence on the uh, athlete we've just interviewed. You might have heard his name pop up. Uh, he did 31 hours and 11 minutes of training last week. God, there's some people doing a lot of training. I didn't make the top 100, Bevan. I did my bloody Uber pretzel, and I still didn't even make the top 100. You had to go 13 hours and 17 minutes to get in the top 100 this week. And how many hours do you reckon you did? I think I did about 12 last week, something like that. Jeez. Yeah. You've got to cycle, don't you? You've got to cycle a lot, you and you've got to keep me running out. So I'm, I'm doing a, a, a modest amount of cycling, but I'm uh, not really doing much running, and most of these people are biking and running. Only a few are swimming. Yeah, Probably sure about. Make sure you don't get injured when you come back, John Newsom. I won't. I've got it all under control. Bevan, give me a number, though, so we can have our I'm going to say 33, Scotty Pippen, because I've been watching that Michael Jordan documentary. I watched both of them last night. Okay. I am hooked on Michael Jordan right now, John. Good. Okay. Dane Stanley. He did 16 hours and 59 minutes from 19 activities, 13 hours and 16 minutes of cycling, and three hours and 42 minutes of 
running. He's from Whaley Bridge in England in the United Kingdom and he's always with the Total Tri Training Group which is uh, Nick Rose and the other crew. We had a few of them uh, doing the Uber Pretzel at the weekend and he's certainly seen a big spike in his training. You know what you can see on on Strava is you can sort of see there's a bar graph down the bottom and that sort of shows you you know the level of consistency or the number of hours people have done and you can certainly see a fairly big spike in April for good old Dane. So nice work, Dane. Uh, plenty of PRs out there last week, and he did well. It's a nice work. It is nice work. You rock, mate. You absolutely rock. So, John, let's go questions, questions. and answers. answers. Okay, so John's put a challenge out there for you. Murray, Murray, hold a hammer. I haven't actually done my emails today, but I did see he sent me through an email saying something about a challenge, and it looks like John Newsom's also doing – so you're not doing much running, but it turns out you're going to be. I'm going to be. I've just been slowly building up. So I've, I've, I've done and dusted with the 30 bike rides in 30 days. I finished my uh, sort of successive rides, I think it was last Monday. Um, I'm not sure how many I did. I think it was maybe about 33, 34, something like that. And so now I'm moving on to a running challenge for May. So what I'm going to be doing starting the 1st of May, and Murray was asking about how I'm going to structure this, was to do uh, run, run every day. I'm going to run 30 minutes every day for May. Um, he was asking about you know what I'm going to be doing within those runs it's basically going to be really unstructured the first you know 10 to 15 of the runs are all going to be just easy and then I'll just slowly build in uh, a little bit of intensity I'll be doing a bit of hill work but just random stuff running with the kids it really is a case of just running for 30 30 days uh, which I've never done before um, I've done probably about 15 to 20 days I think you know epic camp length of New Zealand certainly ran every day on that and some of those runs were um, reasonable length so yeah that's the plan the other thing though that I'm going to combine with this and this is um, a big part of it is every day that I run I'm also going to do 15 minutes of core and 15 minutes of stretching um, just because it's another little challenge but also the flexibility side of it for me is going to be uh, crucial to make sure that I stay in one piece I'm not too worried about the the impact side of things but it's that flexibility that uh, often you know gives me a little bit of grief one of the reasons why we can get away with doing quite a bit of running on on epic camps is the cycle the, the amount of cycling you do often loosens off your your muscles and your legs after the, the running um, so I won't be cycling heaps so we're still doing maybe three to four rides a week. Um, so yeah, the flexibility is going to be important. And I'm also setting myself a challenge of 15 minute, 15 press ups every day. Um, I thought he's just because you, okay. So in the I, show notes, he's got, I've just seen he's, what got, got, he's got 15 minutes of press ups. I thought oh, you seem to be dreaming. I am dreaming. I've just seen that as well. There's no way that I'm doing that. I know there's a lot of people doing the 25 press-ups in 25 days, um, which is a great awareness raiser and campaign for mental um, health. Um, but I'm just going to stick with 15 and uh, just so everything sort of round numbers. But I think that's going to be, to be honest, I reckon that's going to almost be the biggest part of the challenge, doing 15 press-ups every day. A couple of days, no problem. But um, I think there's going to, for that first You'll week or so, there's going to be some dogs going on. You'll be fine. You can do 15 press-ups. I have not done a lot of upper body stuff in the last month. That's one thing I have done well is I've kind of balanced my training really well because one of the downfalls of this moment is we just go to what's well easy. So if you've got the cycle set up, you're going to do it or running. Um, but definitely I've made sure I've kept my strength work in there because I don't want to come back and get injured. And I also don't want to come back after six weeks off and die doing strength work. So I have kept my strength work in there. 
I've kept, kept my CX works in there two times a week, but the, the, there's not a lot of upper body there, no, so not, that, no. that's going to be a challenge. Uh, Murray was also asking why I'm doing this and, and the goals, etc. Um, it's just, for me, I've got no races on the horizon, so I'm looking for little challenges to, to do to keep me motivated, and it's something I've never done before. There's no real expectations as to I'm doing this to try to um, run some amazing sort of 5K. That being said, I am thinking about doing another half marathon maybe in August, uh, so that might be the sort of kickstart for that. And other people have sort of commented, you know, oh God, yeah, people are just going to break themselves if they do that. And yeah, of course, you have to be sensible about this. But what you often find with doing um, running challenges like this is the real hurdle is that first 10 days. And if you can be sensible, really look after yourself in that first 10 days, then it's kind of like, you know, you're sort of scrambling up a, a mound. Once you're on top of the mound, then you kind of, uh, you're, you're in the clear and then you'll sort of settle in and your body will adapt and you, you hear that when you talk to the guys that you know do these ultra challenges you know like um uh, was iron cowboy or anybody who's done multiple half ironmans or when we've had our epic camps where you're doing multiple sessions on multiple days it is that you just got to get over that hump and then your body kind of adapts so you know the first 10 days is danger time so if anybody else is thinking about doing this I would strongly encourage the first 10 days to be really easy and plenty of flexibility work, keep your core up. Uh, and if you are somebody who struggles with it, running injuries might not be the best thing for you. Got to say, if you want to, if you guys, we're doing a challenge with our running group and, and uh, we've put up a web page. So if people want to do this challenge, it's a little bit different as well. So what we've done, now it is kind of a run-based challenge, but it's basically, if you go to extramilerunners.co.nz slash next level, um, uh, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's basically a points-based system. So what you do is you, you basically, there's three levels, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. Uh, and the advanced level basically is every time you get out the door into a session, you get one point. But then you have options on top of that. So you're trying to get 14 points a week. So you have intensity options. So we've got like track sessions, pace sessions, strength repeat sessions. We've got sessions where you've got to run 10K into 100 burpees, run 10K into 100 press-ups. So it's just kind of, more mm. intense sessions and then you've got a longer run so you, if you do one of those sessions you get two points so you get one point for going out the door and doing a session then you get two points for doing the track session or the intense session uh, then we have an endurance run which is only 18k's but it's still you know a decent amount uh, so you do you get three points for that and then we have fun sessions which is things like a dress up so yesterday I did a dress up run I did a hill repeats in the dress up <laughs> run uh, you can do a, a be a mile you can do a bubble session <laughs> be a mile yeah yeah totally you can do a bubble session so it's like a session that you do with your family or the people in your bubble uh, you can do a, a draw a picture on Strava with your route challenge as a treasure hunt and so on and so there's a there's an intense and endurance and a fun session that you can choose each week and you kind of you look at your week and you just try to get there's a certain amount of points and you can choose your sessions and people are loving it because it's got a mix of everything you know it's got a mix of just if you want to do an easy session you can do an easy session if you want to do a longer you can if you want to do something that's a little bit fun you can and also you've got the um the intensity sessions and so i'll put a link to that in the show notes extramilerunners.co.nz slash next level if you want to do something that's a little bit different as well um john boy we've got some new patrons we have. So we've got some returning patrons, we've got some patrons upping the ante, and we've got some new patrons. So welcome back to Adam Crazy, Leg Fo Crazy Legs Fox. He was riding with us, uh, I think it was last week he did one of our rides. So I think he said that he was getting home from work at 3 in the morning or 4 in the morning. We, he's in lives in Australia, and we were starting at, I think, five in the morning or four in the morning his time and he managed to do the ride i think it was maybe the pretzels so good on you adam crazy legs fox 
Okay, we've got a new patron here, and his name is Matt. I'm going to say Charlton. Um, and he lives in, how do you say that, Castle? Car- Car- Carlisle in northern England. Carlisle. How did Carlisle out of that, John? Uh, northern England. He organises his local park run, which is absolutely awesome, because those park runs are a phenomenal thing. But they do need a lot of love behind the scenes, so well done. And his wife is into it as well, so well done to the wife. Uh, and it's about the same level, doing Ironman Wales later this year, so fingers crossed that happens. Also, was due to honeymoon this year in March and April in New Zealand. Oh, bugger! And he was going to be making Christchurch. He was. Uh, they were down to do the Brecker in Bay of Islands, so he was going to be doing that with his wife. So real shitter that he couldn't, couldn't get out here. Um, but hopefully, fingers crossed... Gets to do have Iron you got a Man nickname, John? Wales. I have not, no. Why don't we say honorary Kiwis? Honorary <laughs> Kiwis. Yeah. Um, okay, I reckon we can do better than that. Oh, what's the love? You, okay. You read the next one. I'm going to I'm gonna find Matt a darts nickname. Or I'll see what the darts generator comes up with. Because I love this next page. What about give him a taste? Have we done that one before? Give him a... How about Lion Brown? Okay. Lion Brown. Lion Brown is an iconic New Zealand beer. Kind of more on the cheap end. If you want to have a fight at a pub, you're probably going to drink Lion Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know if they, if it was Lion Brown, if, I think it was Double Brown used to sponsor Ironman New Zealand for, for a number of years. So they used to have uh, a beer sponsor for quite some time. So I think that was Double Brown, um, but we'll call Matt Lion Brown Charlton. Okay, love your work, Matt. You're a Lion Brown Charlton. Uh, we've got Tony West, a Christchurch boy, transplanted and living in Melbourne for the last 20 years. I was a fat kid and fat broke. Exercise was going from couch to fridge and back again. The doc had been telling me for a few years that if I wouldn't see 50 at the rate I was going, that, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a wake-up call, eh? Yeah. Uh, but do blokes ever listen to their docs? Early in 2009, I had some test results that said I was close to the end unless lifestyle changed. Wow, that's pretty phenomenal. Uh, so it changed. I went from 131 kgs to 78 kgs in 16 months. That mm. is absolutely, he's not a tall bloke. He's got for a bloke that's a 170 centimetres tall, that's five foot seven. That's a big change. I've attached it before at my 40th photo uh, and an after at the Busso finish line to show how dramatic the change was. Started Les Mills RPM, had a PT that convinced me I could run, got into it with a great group of people who swan and rode, swam and rode as well, and got hooked. Now it's one for Ironman done in Western Australia in 2016. Numerous halves, multiple half marathons. Marathons and marathon uh, and distance ocean swims. A completely different person now. Got Ironman Western Australia 2019, a bit wrong hydration wise, which led to a DNF in the bike. And Gold Coast Marathon this year has been off the agenda given to COVID. But we'll be at Busso in 2021 and we'll run the Christchurch Marathon in the next two or three years. Well, I'll be calling you across the line, Tony West, I tell you that much. Um, where am I? Um, the next two or three years. And so the full circle is redeemed. Uh, and I want to do Kona camp one day. I'm a sure back of the packer. I'll never qualify for Kona, but that's not why I do this. I do this to see my kids grow up and to be around to torment my long-suffering wife for a long time to come and to do it for myself. I've come to love swimming, biking and running with all my friends. And yes, the doctor is proud of me and uses me as an example of what happens when the patient's Change their mindset. What an awesome story, Tony. You love, rock, mate. love getting those sort of stories through. So, Tony, awesome work. It's just an example of, you know, like I, I, I was writing a piece yesterday talking about how 
people who turn their life around with health and fitness, the moment they do it, they wish they'd done it earlier. And Tony is, you know, like, look at, you know, we could talk about, like, how much did he lose? He lost 50 kgs, basically, in 16 mm. months. Like, phenomenal. But it's more the lifestyle, the mindset, the attitude to life. Just absolutely awesome, mate. And sometimes we can be a bit cynical about Iron Man and all, all that sort of stuff. But when you hear stories like this, it's uh, it's awesome. Love and it. also, and he talks about, you know, the doctor's talking about, you're going to die, mate. And his kids get a much better version of him they get him for longer first of all but also i guarantee his kids get a better version of him and the role modeling he's given to his kids awesome stuff mate love your work so from the darts nickname generator bevan we've got uh we've got two options um one's probably slightly more appealing to tony first one is tony the warthog west Uh. or second tony wolverine west well have we done wolverine before we may well have done. Because I'm thinking there was a band called Go West, John. Uh, that's what I was thinking earlier as well, Bevan. I thought exactly the same thing. Okay, so let's look at their hit songs. Go okay. West. I'll, King, I'll tell them. Uh, the King of Wishful Thinking. The King of Wishful Thinking. Um, don't Look Down. Back it up. That's probably not a good one. The King is Dead. No. Eye to Eye, True Colors. No. Don't Be Afraid of Your Dreams. That's a good one. Okay. Tony, Tony, don't be afraid of your dreams, West. There we go. Your dreams. I'll get over you. I know I will. John, you're not very good at pop culture, but if you can get this right, I'll give you $5 cash. That's how generous I am. When we get back together in real life, when we're... We could do a contactless payment to me. I'll give you cash. Uh, King of Wishful Thinking, Thinking was a song associated with one of the biggest movies in the 90s. What was the movie? Oh, biggest film of the 90s. Uh... Okay, for $4, I'll give you a cue, clue. Okay. $4, the first clue is, it was a kind of um, romance, comedy romance. Not mainly romance, but a little quite funny as well. Is it, a, is, is it, what, Hugh Grant in it or anything no, like that? No, no, but, but this is set the standards for all of those movies. I'm going to have to go to go down to $3, $3. I think. $3. This is a hard clue, but I don't want to give it to you too easy. It starred, before he was famous on Seinfeld, it starred as the bad dude, the Jason Alexander, who played... Um, George Costanza. Yeah. Oh, now I do know this. Come on, John, for $3. Pretty Woman? Yes, he takes yeah. it out. $3. $3. <laughs> John, I owe you $3. When, you get, oh. when I get to see you, I'll give you cash. It's Great. Okay. There we go. Fantastic. That's this week's quiz from Bevan. That's, that's my contribution to the show. Nice. Team, if you want to get a cool nickname, if you want to be a supporter of what we do, and to be honest, we really appreciate, you know, it's a tough time for right now, especially for fitness professionals. Um, we really appreciate the people who are patrons of the show. You know, we, we try to give you gifts and get you into the draw, but it's ultimately just about supporting the boys and what we do. For those who have up theirs, for those who are already patrons, and for those who have jumped on board in this last period of time, we just really, really appreciate it. If you want to become a patron, go to www.iamtalk.me, um, and there'll be a link on the page to become a patron, and it's just a great way to support the show. A good way to think about it is, for a cup of coffee a week, it's kind of supporting something that's a big part of your triathlon world. John, if you also want to get the show emailed to you, you can go to I Am Talk down the bottom of the front page there's a little place where you can put your information in 
and that will work. Uh, coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. You can also check out Epic Camp to check out that South Island camp. My podcast, bevanjamesisles.com. And for content, like Age of the Week, cool website and other feedback, I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. Jombo, your goss. What's my goss? I'm about to, my, my reminder's just uh, popped up that I've got to go get a, a flu vaccine jab in 25 minutes' time. Never had one before, the flu vaccine, so Belinda's booked me in. It was non-optional, uh, so well, I'll funny story about this. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm healthy. I never get sick. I don't need it. I get why this year might be the year to do it. Um, jo one, one time pulled that out on me. She pulled the old, Joe's never done this to me. When there was another big disease going around, Joe goes to me, if you love me, you'll do it. <laughs> so I did it. Guess what, John? It was the sickest year I've ever had in a long time. <laughs> Great. Something for me to look forward yeah, to. So it didn't work for me, but hey, got to yeah. do these things. What's your gosh, John Boo? What's my gosh? Plenty of family activity. I'm gonna Today, I'm also going to be taking my son, Thomas, out on our first ride around Short Bays, which is our click. Oh, because cool. today, today is our first day we're technically allowed to go you know, a little bit further afield. I haven't really done any riding on the road, um, but today I will. I'm so he's take never done Short Bays before? No, so it's a cool. it's about a forty to forty five kilometer um, with you know it's pretty much a lot of climbing in it and yep. some pretty steep stuff in there as well. But he'll be fine. He's been cranking it, so it's good. We've done a few family runs as well. And yesterday we did a family walk, and we <laughs> we walked down our street, and we. We haven't got a really neighbourly neighbourhood. We sort of know either side of us. We kind of know and across the roads. But um, so a couple of houses down, there was a, a sign out the front, which was really, really nice. They put some tinsel around it and it was sort of thanking all the, the people that had been working, you know, the hospital staff, the supermarket staff, etc., saying thanks for being there for us. They actually also had a couple of giveaway things outside, like some bay leaves and there was, there was something else, that might have been flowers or something so like that. So they're good people, John. They're good people. Good, good people. Yep. <laughs> and another sign sign below that was a temporary one that was saying for all the hard work we've been doing in our neighbourhood and, and all across New Zealand, the next door neighbours at 6B are having a birthday party and they're just ruining everything <laughs> for everybody. And then they had an arrow pointing to the neighbour's house. Oh, I just thought, oh dear, there's going to be some controversy in the neighbourhood coming up very soon. That's one bad thing. You know, people dob that's come out of all this is, is the dobbing in society um, we've kind of developed for, for some people on social media, etc. So it's not something that I would uh, do myself or encourage. My <laughs> only anger, and I may have talked about this on the show, have I talked about dogs? No, you haven't. So we live, we're very lucky where we live because we live in an area where we've got lots of great trails beside it, close to our home. Um, and the one that's closest is Harriel. It's a very popular track in Christchurch. It basically goes, it's about, about a 3K track. From home, it's like an 8K loop from my house. Um, beautiful track. But it is, you know, track's a bit narrow right now. And so one thing they've got at the track is they've got, please, if you've got a dog, keep it on its lead. Well, the amount of people who don't have their dogs on the lead. And and it's and it's always the little dog owners that don't have their dogs on the lead. And mm. so this, I am telling people off. And I'm not mm. being nice about it. I'm not, I'm not going, oh, you know, can you put your dog on? I'm like, hey, put your dog on lead. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because it's just like, come on, you know, for, you know, for a 30-minute walk, put your bloody dog on a lead, you know. I'm I'm not a dog lover. I'm hearing you. Well, it's just like a dog lover or not. It's just, it's just, just better respect, please. A better respect, better mm. respect. Any other gosh, John? Uh, that's about it. I'm going to watch my Jordan stuff tonight, but like you did uh, this week. Um, did you watch that, the first two? I watched the first two. Yep, yep, I did indeed. Outside of that, Bevan, um, 
no. I mean, I know we're all going down a level in New Zealand, but not really going to change much for us, unfortunately. So, Bevan, what's happening in for you? Two things, John. First of all, I never knew how great Bowenvale tracks were. Have you ever run at Bowenvale? Uh, once or twice, yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot of mountain bike tracks here. You've got to be careful you don't get your head knocked off. Yeah, there's a few, but you can make it work. But I was just went for a run the other day. I was like, I need to do something different. And like, literally, guys, this is 2Ks from my house, um, or maybe 3Ks from my house to the bottom of the track. It's unbelievable. There's tracks everywhere. And I was like, why don't I know about this? <laughs> so sometimes, team, you need to even just explore in your own little neighborhood. And then secondly, John, we're expanding our bubble. I'm going to the parent-in-law's house tonight for a barbecue. Okay. Yeah, it's exciting times. They're in their 70s, so they, they haven't been seeing anybody. So they're healthy, they're fine. But mm. my bubble is going from two to four. It's exciting times in my world, John. That is exciting indeed. And Ken Reed, the father-in-law, he's great on the barbie. So I'm looking forward for some barbie tonight, I tell you. Nice. Right, I've got to go get my jab, Bevan. Go get your jab. Good luck with that. Uh, we'll be back next week. Jonbo, let's wrap it up. Iron Russ. Iron Man, don't. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.